Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Post-Christmas edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, your host, and I'm joined by Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, how's it going? I'm doing well, David. Christmas was good? Yes, it is. And so it's still tis the season. True. I gave my mom the copy of the book that you signed for me, and she loves it. She's probably reading it right now. So I just wanted to mention that. And before we get going here, uh, do you want to talk about your book real quick? I know you had another signing over the weekend, I think, right? Yeah, basically, I had something last week at Mentor. Yeah, the the, the the guy with the sign, my faith book, has really sold pretty well. I know in a number of the uh, Barnes & Nobles, it was like the top three selling book in the store uh, for December. So that's terrific. And um, there might be some signed copies left somewhere, like maybe in Mentor or somewhere else he did. I would call and check if you're looking for those, or you could just go to the website, terrypluto.com, and, and get them there. But I'm just really appreciative of everybody that uh, that came out, and a lot of people did, so very grateful on that. Really exciting uh, time, and it's a, it's a great holiday book and a great gift for someone. Terry, beyond that, I want to mention, I think last week we talked about doing a survey for our listeners to see what they want us to do with the podcast in 2024, longer, shorter, same length, different topics. Should we format it differently? So I'm going to try and get that set up for next week once we get past the holidays here. So we'll get that out to everybody. So, uh, yeah, so today we'll get into Browns and man, we got a lot to talk about there. And also mm-hmm. we got um, some calves to get into. The Guardians made a trade today. We're taping this on Tuesday afternoon, and they have picked up another what they hope will be a power-hitting addition to their lineup. So we'll get into that. And we've got two more emails that we received from fans from around the world. Uh, As part of our 100th episode, we asked people to weigh in with where they are, why they're a Cleveland sports fan, and so we will get to a couple of those. But, man, Terry, there's so much to talk about with the Browns. I guess my first question is, this team is 7-5, and and have you ever seen a guy – come in like Joe Flacco has in, in not just the Browns, but like in any Cleveland sport and had the kind of impact that he's had. I, I know you have a column going up in the morning. One of the phrases you used was your wacko for Flacco. Yeah, because right. this has been, it's just been unlike anything we've ever really seen. It's crazy. Well, first of all, it's a small sample size because it's even hard to find in any sport a guy who in effect misses 80% of that season and all of the training camp. And then comes in and then starts in, and wasn't injured and had really four mediocre, almost bad years before that and comes in and plays at 
uh, a Pro Bowl level, which is what Joe has done the last four games. And my, part of my thing is the Jets have to be wondering, how did this happen as they go to face him? With all they, the quarterback problems they've had there this year, man, and, <laughs> you think and they would have kept them around. Right, and I looked at his stats last year, and when he played for the Jets, and he didn't play against the Browns, he had four stars, by the way. They were one and three. And um, in those uh, four starts, uh, he threw four TD passes against the Browns. The other three starts, he threw one. He had three interceptions. You know, just really, they averaged – they scored 31 against the Browns in that game. And the other three games where he played, they averaged nine points a game. So I guess now I would argue that's still good enough, given his pedigree, that some team would have wanted him to at least be a backup and given that he has a good attitude. But to project anything like this, where now they're sitting around going through the Browns record book to find out, well, let's see, for the guy in the first four games, nobody's thrown for more yards or more touchdowns than Joe Flacco. Nobody. It's like you got to be kidding. And yeah, it, it's nuts, man. It, it really it just is. is. That's why I can't think of anything. It would be, I don't know, it'd be like bringing in some guy for the Guardians who, you know, hadn't well, played. Yeah. So, and, and this isn't even and, the and, same. But I, I like, wanted to throw this out, Terry. I can't come up with anything. The only thing it reminded me of when I was thinking about this yesterday was Andrew Miller. In 2016, and I mean Andrew Miller was 31 when when the Indians traded to the Yankees with uh, with the Yankees to bring him in. But do you remember how that was in 2016 when Andrew Miller came out of the bullpen? Yeah. In 2016, everybody wanted to see what he was going to do, and you know the guy becomes he just comes in and just sets everything <laughs> everything on its head about what people thought about the team. I think he was four and zero in in the playoffs and was uh-huh. the ALCS MVP. Um, you look at some of the numbers he put up that, that season when he came to Cleveland. That's the only thing that kind of reminded me of this, where a guy just came in in the middle of the season and just turned everything upside down. I think he was um, 4-0 in the playoffs. And if you look at the strikeout and walk numbers, I think it, it was crazy. It was like he walked two guys in the playoffs and struck out 46. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing. that. But this isn't that. Like This, no, it this isn't is even grander. It, Andrew Miller was playing. He was with, you know, he was with the Yankees. He'd been a really good reliever before that, except the times on his career when he was hurt. And he was 31. He wasn't 38. Now, it was mind-boggling what he did after he got here. But it wasn't like, well, we got to get him up to speed or whatever. I mean, Flacco was on the practice squad. When he finally signed, they put him on the practice squad. You know, all we're going to see, is he better than DTR? And, well, he's got to be better than P.J. Walker, but we'll have to see. And there you go. So, no, the, I just think it's unprecedented when you add in the age factor, the sitting out factor, and the immediate impact factor. And, of course, I'm getting all the emails, and it's a legit question. You know, when we went around and around with Watson and all the rust, well, here's where's this guy's rust? He must be walking Rustolium. I don't know. And so he just, he's just played terrific. And these are hard throws he's making. He's Throwing the ball downfield, he's thrown into tight coverage. Um, he's throwing boldly. You know, he's he's got ten touchdowns, he's got seven interceptions, he's got some picks. Do you want to go through some of the numbers real quick just to to summarize? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in four games, Terry, you mentioned he's he's 104 of 175 for 59.4% 
1,307 yards, 10 touchdowns with seven interceptions, an 85.1 rating. On Sunday in the win over Houston, he was 27 of 42 for 368, (laughs) 8.8 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. And you mentioned, Terry, like – I don't know. I don't know what it is, but he's playing like he doesn't have anything to lose because he doesn't. But he's also got receivers that are able to get on the end of these balls. He's in the time he's been here. He's number one in the NFL in average completed air yards. And what that means is how far, you know, you can throw a 50 yard touchdown. It can be 10 yard pass and 40 yard run after catch. The yard, the air yards is how far the ball is traveling in the air on each pass. And he's number one in the NFL at 7.8 yards per per completed air completed pass he's number two in intended air yards which is how far the ball goes down the field on every pass at 9.7 and he's number two in something called percentage of aggressive throws which is what you were getting at terry which is the number of attempts that are into tight windows um he's number two in the league at that at 19.4 percent so i mean he's playing like he doesn't have anything to lose right I mean, and, and he doesn't and you could say he's also basically playing to win and Stefanski's calling a game that way, and I also believe Stefanski realizes because of the um, uh, injuries to the line, the running game just isn't there. Here's another one that's this is very indicative, by the way, of the play calling, the style, and that. Uh, since uh, Flacco showed up, so that's four games for all these guys passing out of play action. In other words, taking the ball under center, faking it to the running back, throwing it. Flacco, 677 yards. Number two in that span is Trevor Lawrence at 322. This is from Jake Trotter, ESPN. So he he's using the old style of being under center and faking it to the running back, primarily throwing from the pocket or what I would call controlled rollouts. Generally, it's, it's to the right. The, the Lines used to know where he's going. And this is the style that was supposed to be passe uh, or antiquated. Maybe not. Yeah, with a guy like him, man. And and the the throws, he's he's putting the ball into places where only his guys can get him. And the other thing that I think has been really impressive, Terry, I felt like when we were watching P.J. Walker and to a lesser extent DTR, you felt like Amari Cooper was going to be targeted on every single pass at some points of this season, right? And Joe Flacco is spreading the ball to everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's making reads quickly, and he's if it's not there, he's checking down. I, 11 guys were targeted in the game against Houston the other day, and I, I, I haven't had a chance to check it out, but that, that's got to be among the highest, if not the highest, of the whole season for the Browns. That, that's a lot of guys. You, that, that number was much smaller when you had these less experienced guys out there playing quarterback. Although, to be fair, they also are throwing the ball a lot more. Probably ten more times a game than in the. No, pack. that's a good, good, good point, Terry. They are, but uh, you're correct. He he seems to know more of where he wants to go. Um, he also just has this relationship with Cooper that you could tell these are two smart vets. They get together and they're making adjustments even during the game with each other. Um, and P- Cooper, yeah, he might have got a lot of passes from. Um, P.J. Walker, but he didn't know where the ball was going. It's behind him. It's low. It's this. Basically, if you watch when Joe throws the ball to Cooper, it either is like where Cooper could get it pretty much or nobody. It's, it's towards the sideline. 
It's up high. Cooper's even told him, I'm 6'2", 220. I'm bigger and stronger than these guys. Just throw it up there, and, and I'll go get it. But you've got to go throw it up there in an area where he can get it. But if it's too high, then you get that high tip balls and the interceptions. Uh, we haven't seen too much of that. Um, I am surprised. I know Flacco's tall. But nonetheless, he's only had a couple of balls kind of tipped at the line of scrimmage. And that often happens when you haven't played a lot. You just don't have that timing. And it's astounding to me. I mean, the first game he played was in uh, L.A., and that wasn't that bad of a game. Remember, he threw an interception at the end. But he had like what, three practices with the team or something. It's just been phenomenal. And, of course, the, the way that players have um, embraced him now – even though he had played mediocre at best the last few years with the Jets, it did help, I think, that he played that one good game against the Browns in terms of the eyes of the players because they're not watching tapes of Joe Flacco or anything. And then secondly, he just came in with the pedigree of having beat the Browns. Thirdly, this really helps. Um, he didn't foul anybody. I mean, yeah, Deshaun to a lesser extent. But it's not like he came in here and they had great quarterback play and he's got to continue it. Like we're going to talk later on about the kicker. Um, and when you look at uh, how you're trying to replace Dustin Hopkins, I mean, a minute, if uh, if it's Riley Patterson who they brought in and he bangs one off the crossbar or something, and we go, well, you know, Hopkins would have made that. It was the same thing like anybody who followed Phil Dawson. So, but Flacco, he followed P.J. Walker and DTR. I mean, they're like, and those kids were struggling and he comes in there and it's like, it's like daddy showed up or, you know, like Clint Eastwood unforgiven. He walks into <laughs> town to clean it up. The old cowboy, you know, shows up and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Um, and so it's just been, this is so much fun. And he has been a unifying force in a fractured, previously fractured fan base. Oh, great way to put that, Terry. Yeah. Um, so we want to. We probably should spend a little time on Amari Cooper here. I wanted to ask you. So the other day, eleven catches, two hundred sixty-five yards, two touchdowns. He breaks Josh Gordon's twenty thirteen record for the most receiving yards by a Brown in a single game. Is Amari Cooper the best receiver you've seen since the team came back in nineteen ninety-nine? I know Max Speedy is in there all over the record book, but just since ninety-nine, is Amari Cooper the best you've seen? Yeah, Warfield was probably the best ever. Now, he was younger in his career. They didn't throw the ball as much in that, but Warfield was just spectacular. And, of course, he's in the Hall of Fame. Um, Gary Collins was very good you know, mm -hmm. in the 60s. He really he also punted, by the way, I may add. How about that? Played receiver. You start, that would be like Amari Cooper punting, which they could have probably used over the Yeah, no kidding. Years. But anyway, they did have DeAnthony Bell kick off, yeah, so Amari Cooper could have been X. Gary Collins was a regular punter. He was excellent. And, you know, Langford and Wester Slaughter, those guys are really good. But what I like about Cooper is he has none of the receiver garbage that you get with some of these guys. You know, the, the diva attitude and, and everything. And um, we never got, well, you know, why isn't our Amari Cooper getting the ball more? You know, remember? Or even Amari's always open. Remember that one? You know, and I, I'm just picking on uh, OBJ because that was the latest of that. But you get that all around the league, and you don't. And Cooper's better than a whole bunch of these guys who are whining about that. Now, when he went home and talked to his family or whatever, he must have gone, man, PJ Walker. I mean, the dude's a nice kid, but man, I don't know where the ball's going. You know, I mean, he had to 
be venting like anybody else. And that's why I think he also grabbed on to Joe going, because this is my life preserver here. You know, I could really get my career back online. Of course, Joe's going, I could put up some big numbers with this guy. And then, you, you know, David Bell. Now, Joe always liked to throw the tight ends in Baltimore. And so uh, you see uh, uh, David Njoku. I mean, but you, as you mentioned before, like I mentioned David, you know, like David Bell. These other guys have their moments uh, with with uh, with Joe also. And they have to. They can't run the ball right now, David. They just can't run the ball. They're not. They're trying some, but it's just going nowhere. Yeah, and you don't hear the fans saying "run the ball" anymore because I think they, they're like, "Hey, it's working. Let's just let's just they're throw working. it. Browse should just throw it." Yeah. Now, do you, if you have the numbers, I I believe wasn't Jerome Ford like twenty five yards and fifteen carries or something? Yeah, it was not a good day. And you know, Terry, it's it's just that when you have an offensive line that has been as banged up yeah. as the Browns has, I mean, it's only a matter of time. I mean, the Browns have not been playing great teams. Uh, I, I mean, a win's a win and all that. But like, if you want to run the ball effectively, you got to have a good offensive line. And, you know, you just wonder if it's going to catch up with them at some point. But the other day, yeah, Jerome Ford, 15 carries for 25 yards, a 1.7 average. He had a long of 10. And then Strong was five for 22. So there's not much there. And they're probably, let's be honest, there probably isn't going to be the rest of the way. No, there is in terms not, of a run game. I mean, they're not, not getting Jedrick Wills back. They're not getting Jack Jack Conklin back. It's you're missing your two tackles. They're not getting Dewan Jones back. They're they're missing their their top three tackles. It just does not add up to a good run game. And you don't know really how uh, Batonio is playing right now. I mean, he played, but back injuries and that, and Posick. So there, uh, I do think that the way Flacco does throw from the pocket and that does help them with their blocking schemes and things. Uh, so they're able to protect him and he does, you know, he gets rid of the ball pretty quick and he just knows what he's doing, but there is no way you could have expected half of what he's produced. I mean, suppose in the four games, instead of 1300 yards, he threw for 700. You'd be thrilled. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Terry. Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting is, you know, the Browns and their fans are kind of like Pittsburgh and their fans. They want to be tough and run the ball. This is like so anti-Browns. It's yeah, just, it is. It's just like we're just going to wing it. You can't stop us, and we're going to throw for 350 and three touchdowns every week. Like, go ahead and stop it if you can. And I think Browns fans, are, are they, they were like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And now they're like, this is really fun. It's mm-hmm. like the Chiefs or something. I think it, it's been a little bit of an adjustment for fans to get used to that. Have you noticed yeah. that? Yes. Um, but you just have to realize, too, though, um, fans want a quarterback that doesn't divide them. I'm, I'm, I know I've hit that theme before, but it's very true. It's why, by, so, by the way, even the year before, if you remember, you hardly heard fans complain about Jacoby Brissett. By the way, did you notice he came off the bench the other day and had a very big game for Washington? Yeah, they've been playing Great as Sam Howell Yes, he is. And that is, by the way, he would be my target next year because Joe – Joe Flacco, unless he totally falls flat, he's going to be on the open market and probably get a, a multi-year contract with somebody at 38. And From about so, 10 teams. Yes, he's <laughs> not going to be coming back here uh, if he continues to play this way. 
And so, but this also shows the need for getting a guy in there like that. And I will add to the fact that I know Deshaun had an appearance and said everything's going fine after the surgery, but I'm always nervous about shoulder surgeries, be they pitchers or quarterbacks. All right, Terry. Well, we probably need to get to the kicker update. Uh, as if things can't get any worse, you know, like one injury after another for this team. Yeah. And now Dustin Hopkins goes out with a hamstring. I'm always leery of kickers chasing down returners on big plays, but the game was still in the balance at that point. He had to make care. that play. Like no, you, you don't, don't want your quarterback doing it. You, you don't want him doing it, really. Interesting. No. no, I don't. Period. He's not a football player. He's a kicker. I saw Phil Dawson get hurt in something similar to that. I forgot when it was, but what you could look at the stats one of the years he only kicked like in 10 games or something. I can't remember. He tried to tackle the guy or roll block him or something. No, you're, I'm not even wild about my quarterbacks trying to tackle guys after they throw interceptions. By the oh, way, definitely Baker, not. No, no, the Baker remember what? Yeah. That's how Baker, Baker got Mayfield. hurt, right? And yeah. So like that no. was early in the season. It was, I think it was early in a game and he goes in and tries to make it like, let it go. It's a long season, but I, I don't know. I thought every kicker in the league would have tried to make that tackle, but you don't want your, if you're the no. coach, you don't want your kicker doing no. any of that is what you're saying. I don't saying. want anywhere near it. Go sit down, have a cup of coffee, whatever. No, I'm just. <laughs> Go get a hot dog. Yeah. No, you're too important. You don't have a backup kicker. It's not like there were, like you said, where they're on tackles number four, five, and six or whatever for the Browns on the depth chart. Christian, I can never remember if it was Christian Guerin or Garen Christian. I don't mean to, to knock the guy, but that's where we're at. We're, we're guys who are – Bill Callahan is really talking about duct tape and rubber bands. He's holding that thing together with on the line um, for the pass protection. But, no, you don't. And and then uh, – now, I was a little surprised. I guess Bacorquez heard his quad trying to kick off. I'm a little, a little surprised on that because a lot of times those punters, at some point in their career, were place kickers. Yeah, most of them you see double up. They're the backup kicker. You're right. So, yeah. So you're, but Terry, you know, you're not alone in thinking. I mean, I think Miles no! Garrett called Miles no! Garrett called Hopkins the best player on the team the other day. Yeah. After the yeah, game, you don't wanna, which is no, pretty high praise. I mean, he's won, I believe, five games in the last three or four minutes or whatever you want to. There's this time frame there, basically with game winning kicks. And think about this, David. He's not lost one. In other words, they didn't put him up there with two and a half minutes to go and he and he missed right so every week terry we do the terry weekly kicker update i think we're going to do the terry week this will be this week will be the worried kicker update you got i want to ask you on a scale of one to ten how worried you are so you mentioned the Horkaz being out nine. you're you're a nine okay nine. I am. they have signed they've signed matt hack as their punter he's punted for the dolphins bills and colts and then Andrew Berry has signed Riley Patterson. He's a 24-year-old. Um, he's kicked for the Vikings. He's kicked for the Lions. Uh, he missed two extra point attempts. Was waived uh, on December 19th. Riley Patterson will be coming in. So you're a nine on the worried the worried kicker scale. Yeah, the punter I'm not so much. I don't mean to dismiss it, but it just for the most part, unless the punter is like dropping snaps or you know getting things blocked. Uh, it isn't a catastrophe. The problem with the kicker is that most NBA, NFL games are, what, seven points or less decided by, and you start missing. I'm not as down on the extra point misses. I, I, I know it's a point, but that doesn't bug me as much as the field goals at 
towards it, those fourth quarter field goals. You know, those are a big deal. I looked at Patterson's numbers. Now, I could say he hasn't done much from 50 yards for his career. In fact, it looks like they don't use him that much. But, of course, Hopkins was only 50%, I believe, exactly or slightly under for his career from 50. And the word on him was he wasn't very good from 50 yards out. Then he came here and he was. Uh, Patterson's 24. Um, he was 15 to 17 on field goals, which isn't too bad at all. Uh, he missed a couple extra points, you know, but he's, he, he's bounced around. As you mentioned, my list had him, he was, came out of Memphis and he went to Minnesota, got cut, went to new England, was on the practice squad or something, got cut, went to Detroit, kicked a little bit. Some that was in 2021 or something. And then he went to Jacksonville and then he went back to Detroit. And now here, and what happens to a kicker when we're talking about, so here we go, Minnesota one, New England two, Detroit three, Jacksonville four, Detroit five. You start getting the ax five times in less than five years. Every kick feels like the weight of your the world and your career is really on the line. And so he knows he's coming to situation here. It's a good team. A loss can be expected. On top of that, he's replacing a guy who seems like he never missed. I would think that Browns fans should be a seven on the worry index, Terry. Yeah. Let me tell you why. I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, they've got two winnable games coming up okay. here where, where it might not come down to it. And even if they split, they're in the playoffs. And they're probably going to play the AFC South champion on the road. That's probably how it's going to end up. The only way they cannot be at home the only way they can get a home game is if they catch the Ravens the Ravens have to lose twice the Browns have to win twice anyway that's a whole other thing my second thing is that the the good thing for Hopkins is that the injury is to his plant leg right which is not great but it's probably better than having it in your kicking leg I don't know you know more about kicking than I do but at least it's a plant leg and the other thing he's got three weeks or two and a half weeks here to get healthy and come back for the playoff game so that's why I'm a seven where, you know, you're, you're at a nine in terms of this. But I don't know. Is, is the okay. plant leg more important than the kick leg? I don't know. Tell me about that. I, I really don't know enough to say. We'd have to, I'd have to text Phil to find out. But um, what I am concerned about last, last year he missed several weeks with a hamstring injury. He has had hamstring injuries before. That's a good point. Yep. That's, and then if he tries to come back too early, what do you get? That's why it's a nine. I'm really thinking down the road, even if he tries to come back and, and that. Because, look, he, this guy, I mean, he was thinking, I believe he's under contract for next year, too, by the way. I have to check that. Uh, but it's like, you need him now. I mean, I don't mean Thursday. You need him, though, this season. And so, I, I mean, actually, if I were them, even if, say, you had a miracle healing and he was ready to kick against the Bengals, I would have Patterson kick the last two games. Let's see, get him Me ready too. to go. Let Me too. I think that's really smart. Yeah. Find yep. out if he could do it. Um, maybe Bubba Ventron could work some magic with him. I, by the way, did you notice Cade uh, uh, York was getting ready to be activated, I believe, by the Giants, and he got hurt um, kicking in practice with some kind of quad injury or something. No kidding. Boy, yeah. you can't catch a break. Jeez. No. So um, they – the 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 problem is 
you just don't have guys on your roster that are you can't it's all, like they say you can't find more than 20 quarterbacks you know out of the 32 to start you can't find more than 20 kickers either it's a tough market and you when you find when you got to keep on that's why i think uh, hopkins was such a great move this year by the browns so mm-hmm. um all right terry anything else on the browns we want to get into here I, we, we, we can start talking about the playoffs soon if they win thursday yeah. it's gonna be some atmosphere down guess, there huh guess, yeah that's what'll be fun i remember jimmy donovan had that great call the when they they um went to the playoffs and he said you know everything was great about this season about this game except you weren't here because that was back when the fans were you know i think there was t- limited to ten thousand or whatever for the clinch game against the steelers well this is a great chance for the fans to be there thursday night and the browns are seven and one at home and go eight and one Joe Flacco, I'm sure, would love to knock off the Jets. By the way, Robert Sala, did you see his comment on uh, on Flacco? It was oh, like, about the pickup truck. Yeah, he said, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like an old pickup truck. It doesn't look like much in the summer, but boy, that thing's kind of humming along. You know, when the weather gets cold, I wrote pickup truck. This guy's a Ferrari. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, he's like you bet. Just put it down and throw it all over the place. There, you know, sort of like. Uh, uh, Dan Marino. Or, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's been. All right. Well, that'll be Thursday night against the New York Jets yep. down at Cleveland Brown Stadium. If the Browns win, they clinch a playoff spot. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that Jim Donovan will able to be able to be there for that one. Yes. Because um, he yes. talked about the fans missing the last one. Oh. It would be wonderful if the fans were there and Jimmy was there for that one. It would be a yeah. real treat for everybody. Just to make sure, yeah, uh, Cade York did indeed get put – their Giants were getting ready to activate him, and then he got hurt in practice somehow. All right, let's take a break, Terry. When we come back, we are going to get into the Cavaliers. I want to get your thoughts on, with all these injuries, what you think of how they're playing and Sam Merrill. And I also want to ask you about the Guardians and which prospect you are most excited to see in 2024. MLB.com did one player for each organization in MLB that they are a prospect they're excited to see. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, the Cavs are 17 and 13. They are the number seven seed in the Eastern Conference right now as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon, half half game behind the Knicks. They're playing at Dallas on Wednesday, and they have the Bucks on Friday in Toronto on New Year's Day. Are you surprised with Mobley and Garland being out and then Donovan Mitchell being sick that, this team has weathered this storm the way they have. It's It's been pretty impressive, right? Yes, it has. And that's because um, maybe I'm more of a J.B. Bickerstaff guy than a lot of other people are. I think for the most part, the guys play hard for him. I also think I've seen J.B. in some tough circumstances uh, early on in his career here, keeping those guys together and that. And he does a pretty good job with that. Uh, and And I know he... Fans didn't want to hear it, but he mentioned there was going to be a period of adjustment, you know, bringing Struess into this thing and and some other stuff. And and he's finding ways to make that work. Um, and then the, the you know we play on the podcast and elsewhere we paid played a lot of paid a lot of attention to the summer league team, and which was Sam Merrill and it was it was Porter and Amani Bates for the big guys. And um, my wife my wife's a big by the way. Isaiah Mobley, she wants him to play, and um, he hasn't gotten too many minutes because that I wouldn't mind actually seeing him play a little more just as a backup big guy. But 
those guys, it was kind of like the farm system is helping them. And so that's been another factor. Now, you run into Milwaukee or whatever, good luck, you know, but they could win a bunch of these other games. Yeah, I, I think, Terry, they have six straight games against losing teams after that Bucks game. Yeah. So if you're if you're going to hit a period where you've got some of your big guns out, this is like a good stretch to have against some teams that aren't real good. Uh, I'm not sure if Detroit is in there or not, but man, yeah, you see what's going on up there. Uh, that's almost a, a guaranteed win every time. But uh, the other the other thing I thought was interesting, Terry, NBA.com. I think they have the Cavs 14th. They do weekly power ratings. But one of the notes they had in in what they're writing was since Mobley has been out, it's been nine games. And since he's been out, the Cavs have taken 47.3 of their shots from three-point range. That's the second highest rate in the NBA during those nine games. And that's wow. up from 36.6% before Mobley went out. So they've gone from shooting 36% threes to 47% threes with Evan Mobley out. So I think you're, what you're saying about JB and the coaches being able to work with, all right, what are our strengths? Let's go to those strengths while we while these guys are out. And and obviously Sam Merrill and the three-point shooting, Max Struess and Niang, like, they're like, we're going to shoot the threes and we're going to try and make them and win some games here. Uh, this is this has been a good formula so far. And they're probably I would like stick with to see it. the breakdown of what their, um, what their shooting percentage is on those. But in terms of opening it up more, yes. And also, um, they have to score more points because defensively they're not nearly as strong. And remember, it's not just what they said with Mobley being out, but you've also had a bunch of games with Garland being out in that stretch and, and Mitchell too. And I happen to think, we talked about this last week, and unfortunately we didn't get a chance to see it. I think when Mitchell comes back with this group of other guys, sort of the, the summer league guys and Struess and that, uh, I think they'd be very effective. They could win a lot of games that way with putting the ball in Mitchell's hands and guys playing off it. Um, so, um, you know, hanging over the Cavs is that what happened in the playoffs. And it's, it's, it's almost like if things don't go well, it's like, well, we saw that in the playoffs. If things do go well, well, it doesn't matter because we have to see what they're going to do in the playoffs. It, it really is that. And, I hate that mentality, but I've seen that often in the NBA going back to even like when the Cavaliers, when I covered them with Doherty, Prince, uh, Nance, Price, that whole group, because they struggled some of the playoffs. And it was almost like discounting the regular season. And you just, you, you oftentimes don't know who you're going to draw in the playoffs, who's going to be healthy at that time, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I like actually sometimes when a team has to scramble like they are now, the Cavs, because it takes a little bit of that, oh, the playoff thing to, like, how are they going to win the games with these guys? Well, the, the NBA regular season, Terry, I think this is why they did that in-season tournament. Yes. But I remember when LeBron was here, and it was the Dwayne Wade era, oh. when they had Dwayne, they brought Dwayne Wade in, and it was January, I think. It, it was late January, and the Oklahoma City Thunder came in with Durant and Westbrook and waxed the Cavs by 40 points. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends texted me, and he's like, that's it. The season's over. The Cavs are done. This this is the LeBron era is done. I'm like, dude, it's January. They haven't even hit the trade deadline yet, and you're already no. writing them off. Like, that's where we're at right now. And we've seen it so many times here. It is like the NFL. You just have to get in, especially the way the, the Heat showed last year. Mm -hmm. You get in and you can win in the playoffs. The road, the home court advantage doesn't matter. 
as much as it used to for some reason. And you just have to get in and get a good matchup and you can win a couple series. That's where we're at right now. And I really, the one thing I just sort of despised about the LeBron era, and LeBron was one of the ones up there, I don't care for first or eighth as long as we get in. Yeah, I get that. But then stop charging full prices for regular season games. I'm very serious. You got 41 of these games. I'm just laughing because it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But I mean, if if you just that, well then, or forget the regular season, just have one play-in tournament followed by the in-season tournament, followed by the Quaker Oats tournament or whoever you want to sell it to, (laughs) have all these tournaments and then say, okay, now we're ready for the playoffs. I don't know. Ooh, uh, I, I want to know what the Quaker Oats tournament trophy would look like. Did you? I got to tell you real quick, Terry. I, today they unveiled, unveiled the statue. The statue. Today they unveiled the trophy for the Pop Tarts Bowl, which is being played. Yes. And it looks like a big wedding cake. There's a round tier on the bottom, and then another tier, another tier, another tier, and then there's a football at the top, and it has two slots in it. And they're going to put two real Pop Tarts in the trophy mm. so they could do that for the nba and bring that over and when they unveiled the trophy they had it in foil just like a pop tart and they un they tore there the foil go. and opened up and there was the trophy so they could have a like a quaker oats version of that where there's a big bowl of oats on the top well the, yeah that and the tidy bowl tournament's <laughs> always a good one too there we go yeah yeah so all right to get uh, back to it to, Terry, but, all right please say to this the other thing that i have liked lately uh, i've seen jared allen being more aggressive He's back to making 67% of his shots. Um, I'm still – he drives me nuts sometimes. He gets the ball five feet from the basket, turns around to somebody for a corner three. Don't do that. That's the nice thing, by the way, having Doherty on some of these broadcasts, the big man perspective. Jared, dunk it. You know, go up there. Be strong. And because that does create not just um, – you know, easier points near the basket. You draw fouls. You want the opposing team in the penalty. And Jared has, by the way, been making more shots with his left hand than in the past, which is an important thing for a guy with short hooks and that. Um, there's a lot more in his tank that we could see. Well, we have, a, we have a Jared Allen question, Terry, this week. I wanted to get to it real quick. Why don't we throw it in here? This one is from uh, Andy Getz, who writes from us writes to us from Cambridge, England, mm. and he says, Hey, Terry and Dave, my question concerns the Cavs and Jared Allen. I know that Terry's a big Jared Allen fan. Me too. I thought when he joined the Cavs in March 2021, he provided a big boost, especially on defense and short-range offense with the pick-and-roll from Garland. His solid play led them to dismiss Andre Drummond, who'd been playing reasonably well before that. The following season, Jared Allen made the All-Star game, the one in Cleveland. He still played well through the regular season, but he really struggled in the playoffs versus the Knicks and their big men, Robinson, Randall, and even Hartenstein. He seems to be a diminished player who's easily intimidated near the basket. My question is, will Jared Allen be able to recapture the success that he previously experienced, or is he on a slow path of steady decline? He's still a young player, so he should have plenty of good seasons in his future. I just wonder whether he'll be able to return to the player he's been previously. Are you seeing... Terry, some of this coming back with him, or where do you see his game right now? I see people just have it tainted by what happened in the playoffs. I mean, I think he could be better in that, but I, what's he averaging? 13 points, eight rebounds, shooting 67%. I mean, you know, like they're turning him into like a, you know, Luther Rackley, Paul McKeskey. I don't know, all these kind of guys. Please. What do the, the numbers say there, David? Do you have it? I don't have it handy, but I can get it. Yeah. I mean, they're. He's, you know, he he is a very, very um, um, productive player, 
And you'll see more of his skills when Mobley is not there because more of the inside things do go to him. And I just happen to believe that he's a big part. You take him out of there, they won't stop anybody right now. Oh, no, yeah, is the only big guy, really. Um, so, Terry, 25 games, 29 minutes a game, 13.3 points a game. He's shooting 67.6% from the field. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's averaging... Nine I'm rebounds. trying to find rebounds here, about 8.6 rebounds a game. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe the expectations are a bit too high for him. But by the way, you put him on the open market, you could get a lot for Jared Allen because a contract is twenty million is not a lot for a guy with those kind of numbers. And I think he's got the I think he's in the middle of his third year with that, so he's got two more to go. Um but I don't want him going anywhere. But I do agree he could be more aggressive. And sometimes I just think he defers a little too much to some of these other guys. He needs to believe in his offense. All right, Terry, uh, let's move on to the Guardians. I want to keep us on yeah. schedule here. The, the I guess there's some news today on Tuesday afternoon. The Guardians have traded uh, Cody Morris to the Yankees for center fielder Estevan Florial, who hit 28 home runs at Class AAA for the Yankees last season. So what do you think of this trade, Terry? Florial is 26. He hit 284 with 23 doubles, 28 homers, uh, 79 RBIs. Yeah, it was Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury last season. You're right. He also had 25 steals. Again, this seems like the Guardians trying to amass a group of young power hitters and hope that a couple of them hit. Right? Is that the way you see it? Yes. The nice thing here is, unlike when they picked up the De Los Santos in the in the draft, where they could actually end up losing him, you know, if they don't keep him in the roster. Uh, I don't know if Florio has a minor league option or not. We have to check that. But uh, he belongs to them. Uh, for uh, Florial, now this guy's going to strike out, David. You know, just like the De Los Santos, he had um, 480 plate appearances, and he struck out 144 times. He did walk 66. So, um, but I'm I'm intrigued. You know, you were stuck with the Yankees. Uh, he had he had 71 at bats for them this past year. He struck out 20 times. He had 230, no home runs. Uh, Maybe he could play. He's 26. Could find out. Besides, uh, this gives them an alternative to Miles Straw in center field. They like to keep um, Stephen Kwan in left. So he's supposed to be a pretty decent center fielder. And so why not? You know, give it a shot and see. I liked Cody Morris, but he cannot stay healthy. He just can't. Because I, 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 it's one of those things where we go to spring training and sometimes I wander down, wander down the minor league camp. And I re- never even heard of Cody Morris. I just saw this big right-hander thrown in one of those morning games. And I had my book of me go, oh, Cody Morris. I think he went to South Carolina. I go, this guy's pretty good. And so I just kind of start paying attention to him. But it's always it was a shoulder or a lat injury or it just seems like something with him. Um but remember, he had some nice moments at different times that came up briefly. I could see why the Yankees took him. And besides, Florio, he was going nowhere with New York with all the money they have in the outfield there. So, Yeah, it might be one of those two guys need a little change of scenery. Things aren't working. You know, Florio's bad at about 209, I think, in the, in the 48 games he played in the majors. So Yeah, over a switch, couple of switch years. Switch guys too. and see yeah. Who, who, yeah, who can kind of latch on and maybe do something. So we're, we're seeing Davison, De, De Los Santos, uh, Manzardo, 
and now Florial is guys who are kind of triple A majors guys that are going to kind of battle for at bats in the big leagues, right? Is that the way you're seeing it right now? Yes. I mean, Manzardo is a different type of hitter than those other two. He's a much more mature hitter. By that, I mean, he's younger, but he just doesn't strike out as much, more contact. Uh, Manzardo's got, I think, a lot more upside than some of those other guys for power because um, if you watch even this past season when he finally got healthy with his shoulder and that and how he played both at the end of the year for Columbus and the uh, fall league, and I watched some tapes of this guy. What a left-handed hitter with a lot of power to left center. I love to see that. There's not everything's being pulled, so he's he's intriguing. Um, you mentioned before about uh, MLB Pipeline had their what their, their yeah. So MLB MLB.com put out a story this week where they picked one prospect for each MLB team that they're most excited to see in 2024. And Terry, we've talked about Junior Caminero, uh, the Guardians uh-huh. letting him get away to Tampa Bay. He's he, they had him as the Rays prospect. They're most excited to see. He's, I think he's, you know, he's in top, what? What did you say? Number six in, in MLB pipeline like in that. the whole major yeah. leagues. Yeah. yeah. But MLB.com had uh, Manzardo as the prospect they're most excited to see for the Guardians in 2024. So, who, who's your prospect you're most excited to see, Terry? Is it Manzardo or somebody else? Well, Manzardo to me was this kind of like that's been the name. Everything else that people have seen. The guy that I got onto last year was DeWalder, uh, Chase DeWalder, who was uh, at that point when I went to see him, he was at the Lake um, Lake County. And I just, he's got kind of a weird lefty choppy swing, but in the same way, Manzardo hits a lot of the balls to all fields with a lot of strength. So does this guy. And he is just learning to hit for power. He's hardly played. This is his first full uh, big league, or excuse me, first full pro season. And I I think he's tremendous upside. They were playing in the center there, but he's got a, a right fielder's arm, and I think that's where he would be very good. He now he's not going to make the team to open the season, but he is my guy. That you know they'll put the star next to it, and not just because he ended up finishing strong. I I hopped on him early, and was very intrigued by him. Now the other guy who could come fast. Uh, was the major was a baseball America's player of the year for the Guardians and the Miners? That's Juan Brito, who now he if he were to come up to the big leagues, uh, he would be a second baseman. He's played all the different infield spots, um, and I just saw a little bit of him. But I talked to some people who watched him, and this is I tried to explain this once in the podcast. I did a poor job of it because I threw out the name Jose Ramirez. And um, it wasn't that, but what the way the scout told me is that he reminded him of when he saw Jose when he was young, how he just seemed so poised. Remember how Jose never, I mean, Ramirez, you know, Ramirez just looked like he just was together. You know, he he wasn't. He had that swagger from the way he walked in from day one. Yeah, Yeah, with the shoulders waving back and forth. Didn't strike out a ton, all that kind of stuff. And well, it's the same thing here with this guy. And remember, they traded Nolan Jones for him. They had him ranked really high. This is this is one of those where the Guardians put their reputation out there on the line for Brito. They think that this guy, same way with Manzardo. You know, Manzardo. We'll see how uh, Aaron Savali. 
pitches for Tampa Bay. He had a five, I think a 5.16 ERA after he was traded there. And Savali, when he's healthy, is pretty good. He cannot stay healthy. And that could be one of those where Tampa Bay is regret making that deal if Manzardo ends up being a pretty good player. And I think he will. All right. I'm with you on Delauder, Terry. I, I always like watching guys who take a major league swing and, and figure out their own way to do it yeah. and the quirks of it. I'm really, he's it's like, I haven't seen him play, but from the way you've described, it's a very herky jerky kind of unorthodox yeah, style. A little and, bit of yeah. an uppercut. I mean, I heard, well, he has a heart. We'll have a hard time in a good high hard fastball. Guess what? Most guys do, you know, Garrett Cole's thrown at 97 at the letters and he's getting that call. He's going to get, he's, they're not going to hit him. And yeah. that's, but a lot but, of you know, I think back to Joe, Joe Morgan used to pump his yeah. elbow before he bet. Everybody sure. comes up with their own ad- adaptation. And I'm, I like watching guys like that. It makes it different because a lot of guys have the same types of swings. So, and you kind of watch how do they lined up where the hands really are when the pitch is um, made. So he's, and I like the fact that he is a, um, uh, he, he's a big guy. He's athletic in the outfield and he could throw because I would love to just settle that right field spot down. You, if you get a guy out there in 20 to 25 homers and it plays a good defense and you could keep Juan in left and then you fill in and center with straw and some of these other guys. And then suddenly maybe you do have an outfield. That's pretty good. And, and so have some offensive production. Yeah. Yeah. That would be it. At least some guys that in the minors did it. Some of the, the players that they have brought up, you know, you look at their minor league stats. I mean, Ramon Laureano, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a guy. He's okay, I guess. By the way, I keep getting emails about Austin Hedges. You would think they traded Shane Bieber for Austin Hedges, the way people are ranting about this. It's a backup catcher. Then you can say, well, so what? We watch Mike Zanino and those balls bouncing all over the place and the rest of those guys. By the way, I know Jose Ramirez for a fact texted the front office and there they were he was thrilled to have Austin Hedges back. He felt Hedges uh helped them run the clubhouse. Several there weren't too many veterans there, but felt they needed more veterans to, you know, kind of keep control of things. Not that it was out of control with Francona, but the team was so young. And then on top of that, um Stephen Vogt really wanted Hedges. Remember, he's only going to play once or twice a week. Now, if Bo Naylor goes down and he can't play for the rest of the year, you're in trouble no matter who your backup catcher is. So you'd rather have this guy that they all respect and could work with. It's a backup catcher. I don't know how many times I have to say this. And this is all part of the investment into getting Bo Naylor to be in Cleveland yeah. for 10 years and be yeah, like a, an all-star catcher. You know, that's what it's yes, all about. Just around so. him there. And Naylor, the second half of the season, played like a guy who maybe one day uh, – yeah, he could make an all-star team because he's athletic. He's got power. He can run. Um, he, he improved defensively. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm all for that. I, I keep waiting. I'm hoping they make um, – I think Paul – didn't Paul Hoynes wrote a pretty interesting story about how the, the market for Beaver may move up because of uh, the Dodgers grabbing every pitcher in sight? I always – I felt that, not necessarily the Dodgers. I just thought that as time went on – when you start looking around for starting pitchers, uh, he's going to look pretty good because Glasnow, Glasnow got traded to the Dodgers too, did he not? So, uh, so that they they there's going to be people that want Shane Bieber. 
Uh, in fact, we got a little note that the Indians, um, excuse me, the Guardians and Yankees had a trade coming up in five minutes, beware. And my wife, Roberta, said to me, goes, I wonder if they're getting Bieber. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that, but not quite. Well, might happen next week. It might happen yeah, next could. summer. So we'll yeah, see. We'll, we'll see. see. So, all right, Terry, we got about three minutes here. I did want to squeeze in a couple letters. We During our 100th episode a few months ago, you invited fans to write in and tell us where they live and mm-hmm. why they love Cleveland sports. We have two here. I want to squeeze them in while we have a couple minutes. This one is from Jeff Isaacs, and he says, hey, fellas, I'm 40 years old. And I live in Talladega, Alabama. I'm a oh. lifelong, diehard Cleveland sports fan. My grandpa grew up in Cleveland. He raised me to be a Tribe and Browns fan. I became a Cavaliers fan of my own. He, on my own, he never could come around. Something to do with Ted Stepien. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa worked 32 years at the Ford plant, then met my grandmother once he retired and re- relocated to southern West Virginia to be with her. He was my step-grandfather, but the only one I ever knew. My earliest memories are road tripping to Cleveland to watch Tribe games in the late 1980s with my grandparents. I went to college in Florida and found myself in Alabama afterwards, but I still make an annual pilgrimage back to the corner of Carnegie and Ontario every season. My children protest when some years I insist on driving for nostalgia. I was 19 when my Mm -hmm. grandfather passed, and as a tribute to our relationship and love of our tribe, I got a Chief Wahoo tattoo on my calf. I never imagined it would become taboo. It saddens me deeply. Anyway, I live on every pitch play possession year-round of my Guardians, Browns, and Cavs. It has cost me a fortune over the years for the Sunday ticket, league pass, or extra innings, but I couldn't imagine life without it. My wife is an Ohio State alum from Hilliard, and we've raised our children in this crazy Cleveland fandom. I found Terry's Talking podcast on Apple Podcasts a year or so ago and haven't missed an episode since. Congratulations on 100 episodes, guys. I'll be listening. And again, that's from Jeff Isaacs. Thanks for that, Jeff. That was lovely. And yeah, you said you have one more? I do. This, uh, this one is from Stephen Chan. He says, hey, guys, my name is Stephen Chan. I'm 38, and I live in Manhasset on Long Island, New York. Coincidentally, the hometown of, do you know, Terry? No. The great Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Oh. I did not know that. You know, he says how I, – I, By the way, to stop, I'm, I don't know why. I guess because when he was younger, I got stuck on this, and I lived in Savannah when I was a young reporter. I always think of Jim Brown from St. Simon's Islands, which hmm. is down where he, in Georgia where he was originally before he moved up there. So, but but really, he made his he made his you know reputation there in Long Island. Then, of course, to Syracuse. Oh, okay, yeah, I learned something every day. So, uh, anyway, Stephen says, "Hey, I grew up in Cleveland in Shaker Heights and devoutly follow Cleveland sports teams from afar. Most of my local friends are Mets, Giants, and Jets fans. A few Yankees fans, but living closer to Queens versus the Bronx, most everyone here cheers for the Mets, Giants, and Islanders. My favorite team will always be the Indians since I grew up watching them." and dominate in the 1990s and get oh so close to winning it all in 95 and 97. I think all those great players, teams, and wins and eventual losses were foundational to my Cleveland sports identity. Every year brings high expectations and hopes for the various teams, but almost always some kind of disappointing ending befalls each team. Thank God for 2016. After the Indians, it's the Guardians, it's the Cavs, then the Browns, who have never performed up to expectations. To Terry's question of why I enjoy suffering so much, it's because the suffering isn't alone. An entire fan base is feeling Ooh. down together, feeling the same things after watching the same games. So rarely 
do so many people share the same feelings about the same things? Cleveland sports teams tie me to my hometown and its people. The teams provide not only entertainment, drama, and championship dreams for me, but give me an opportunity to display pride about my hometown, a gritty working class sports crazed city that will always support its pro teams, even when they inevitably disappoint their fans. Reminds me of another important type of community, family. And again, that is from Stephen Chan. Thanks for that, Stephen. That, but that, that summed up kind of what you've been driving at, Terry, I think, as well, well as any I like letters that, we've gotten. But I have He took it to a deeper level, and that is mm-hmm. about the, starting the surf winning. It's almost like people going to funerals, and they start telling stories, you know, about the deceased, even though maybe that life was not ideal. And, of course, oftentimes the end for many of us who have been through that with people was not pretty at all. Uh, so. I like that. All right. Well, thanks for those. If you want to send us any questions, comments about the podcast, again, if you have ideas on what you'd like to hear from us in 2024, send it all to sports at cleveland.com. That's our email address. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. So any big uh, new year's plans, Terry? No, I'm really boring. Me too. I'm going to stay home and watch football. Hey everybody. uh, We're we're really looking forward to a great 2024 with all of you. Thanks for listening. Uh, I don't know, Terry, anything for new year's want to wish everybody happy new year's obviously. And, I don't know anything else for 2024. I'm just grateful every year that I could keep doing this, whether it's uh, writing the podcast or the different things that come up. And um, one of my lines that goes back probably 30 years, you know, without you, there's no us. Without you, the readers, the listeners, there's no us in the media. And you have now more choices than ever. And so when you choose us, that it makes it even more uh, gratifying. Well, Sarah, Terry, and uh, hey, we wish you all a happy, healthy, and safe new year. We will catch you in 2024 on Terry's Talking.